HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Garden Cult, garden design and coaching. For a 15% discount on virtual garden consultations and coaching sessions, use code HRN15. Learn more at gardencult.com. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. I know that the world is opening up, especially here in California, but that doesn't mean that everyone has recovered from the last 15 months of what is arguably one of the worst global traumas to hit the world. So please take time to check in with yourself, check in with others. Please refer to heritageradionetwork.org if you're looking for some support. We are here for you. Please be here for each other. We are so excited to sit down with a longtime friend of the podcast, Aliza J. Sokolo, an LA-based food stylist, photographer, writer, and all-around just master of culinary styling and goodness. She shares with us the start of her career during the financial collapse back in 2009. She talks about her many pivots during her career and her continuing work with charity as she sells Hala on Instagram. It's a really great conversation, a lot of great insights for people who are looking to get into the business of culinary styling and media, and just a lot of fun tips about Hala. Then we dig deep into the archives, 2012 to be exact, and we sit down for a classic performance from Lucius, a sister-led indie act out of Brooklyn. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on hrn.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Say, 
Aliza, welcome to Snacky Tunes. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. Thank you so much. Um, so we know each other f- loosely through our friend Kong. And, you know, I know that you have been involved in the culinary world for a long time. And one of the last things that we've chatted a lot about the show is the similar parallels between what happened in the last year and then what happened during the financial collapse in 2008, 2009, which is actually when you started your career. Um, what led you down to this incredible world of culinary styling and food? And what do you remember from that time that feels similar for you during this time? Well, I graduated from Berkeley in 2009 with an architecture degree. And while going to public school, one of the biggest schools in the country, I learned that I always needed to be my own advocate. Mm. So I graduated with this really awesome degree in architecture and industrial engineering, and there were no jobs available. (laughs) And I was like, 
what am I supposed to do? All my friends are consulting or applying to law school and medical school. And like, I have this really great degree. Um, No one's building any buildings. So finally, after working as a beer promoter, which was my college job to pay my bills, I got a job doing set design assisting. And my first show that I did was a food TV show. And there were all these food stylists when I had walked onto set the first day. And I was like, oh, it's like teeny tiny architecture. That's that's what I'm going to be when I grow up, a food architect. And I sort of parlayed into this career of doing um, uh, food styling. Hmm. And I assisted for a long time. And then Jamie Oliver came to the U.S. And I had the opportunity to work for him. And it led me down a career of working with a lot of different chefs and restaurants. And I learned a lot about the crazy culinary world and farming and all that it has to offer. Well, we're going to get to some of that a little bit later. But I want to go back to that time because, you know, food and food media is so prevalent now. But the idea of working on cooking shows and things like that, even I remember when I would explain to my parents, my parents' friend, they would just go like, oh, that sounds, that's quaint. That's nice. Because um, at that time, it wasn't as as widespread as possible. And what also wasn't really widespread was really a roadmap of how to not just be in the industry, but get in the industry and stay in the industry and learn skills. So how did you start to put a career together? How did you even realize it was a career? It was kind of crazy. I think in about 2011, I got a bit burnt out from mm. working in television, which was a career that I think I made like $118 a day for like a 16-hour yeah. day, six days a week. Sounds and about right. And it just wasn't the, the lifestyle that I was looking for when I looked around at the people I was working with. And I was really green in the industry. Mm. And I had made a lot of connections with different farmers and chefs through my work in TV. Cause I would start going to the farmer's market every week. Mm. And Josiah Citrin actually was the first person to take me yeah. on a market tour. So it connected me with him and Karen Beverlin from Fresh Point Produce, who did all the produce for, you know, per se in New York and the rustic cannon groups in Providence here in LA. And I had met all of these awesome people And I was one of those like strange early 20 somethings who would take pictures of my lunch or like things I was doing at work on set and Mm. like post them to my Facebook account, which was (laughs) very strange at the time. Yeah. And Facebook had started becoming a thing for like my mom's generation and everyone like my freshman year of college was the first year of Facebook. So it was the Mm. Ivy Leagues, Berkeley and And like my sister who went to UCSB did not have Facebook. So I thought I was quite the elitist for going into college with this Facebook thing. And I, you know, I had gotten a Twitter, which came out in 2009. And I was like, this is so stupid. What are you going to do with like, like 80, 40 characters or whatever it is. And I started running Facebook accounts for like some restaurants because I thought, That was an important way to do things. Everyone had a Facebook at that point and Twitter accounts. And I had like networked with 
a lot of different chefs and restaurateurs and people were starting to get book deals. So like Zoe Nathan from Huckleberry heard mm-hmm. that I was doing Facebook and Instagram for Suzanne Gowen's restaurant group and a few others. And so because she had a book deal, her publishers wanted her to have an online presence. So I got that restaurant group, which is like Rustic Canyon, Huckleberry, Milo and Olive. I had started running their Facebook and Twitter accounts. And then in 2012, I believe, is when Instagram came about. And this is sort of how I became a photographer because I had like 22 social media accounts that I was running, which (laughs) included Facebook, Twitter, now Instagram. And we had to post a photo every day, like keep engagement up. We didn't know what this beast was, but I knew that I had to go into each of my restaurants every week, take enough photos to last me for the week. And back then it was only authentic to have an iPhone photo. And then once people started using real photography on their Instagrams, it was like, I don't want to say like a scandal, but it was like, oh my God, they didn't take that on their iPhone. Is this authentic? It's not live. Yeah. And it was very like controversial that you would see people posting things that they had like edited, you know, with perfect lighting and Photoshop and putting it on there. And we had even like started to use Vine to do really cool things in the kitchen. And then Vines went away. Mm -hmm. Not quite sure where it went. I think it's now what reels is and sort of TikTok, which I'm happy. I don't really TikTok, and it's, it's a lot. It's come a long way. So I had pretty much gotten every restaurant group in the city to work with me doing social. And I signed up for every single nonprofit event that was available. So I could broaden my network. So I worked on Alex's lemonade for six years or probably seven years. And then I did Taste of the Nation LA, like Project Chicken Soup. Anytime there was an opportunity to do nonprofit work in the restaurant space, I signed up because I, at that point, was like the only game in town. And then every single PR group in LA would like call me in for a meeting to see if I could run social for their clients. But now everyone does it. But at the time, it was like this crazy, weird intangible, revolutionary thing to be doing food media in, in the social space. So obviously it was new back then, but some of what you did to hustle and to expand your network still applies for today. What lessons did you take from earlier in your career that still make sense and you still use today that people should listen to, follow, if they want to expand their network or grow? What I learned from my parents when I was really young, which maybe it's some strange Jewish values from Mm. going to Jewish school my whole life, was you never know who you're going to meet on the way up or the way down. Sure. So be kind to everyone. Like every restaurant I've ever worked in, which has so many employees, like I make sure I know everyone's names from the dishwasher to the sous chef, to the executive chef, the bar back. Like you never know who you're going to meet or what impact people are going to have on you. So just always lead with kindness. And other than that, like if you're, I'm really passionate about what I do. 
And even my hollow business that I started during the pandemic, I donate to a different charity every week. I think, especially during this last year, is to lead with compassion and everything else will come together. But having, you know, a goal for greater good for yourself and for others has always really helped me be not just be successful, but like feel like I'm making an impact because everyone's in this together. The whole food world struggled together. You know, things are greater than just you. So I learned to really, you know, take a community aspect from everything and just sort of lean into it. You know, you bring up an interesting point because it is a very niche type of work and community, but it's also very competitive, especially when you're freelance and seeing how you were at the forefront of social media or working with chefs and things like that, when people start coming up from behind or you start getting people who are maybe borrowing in quotes, if you will, maybe aggressively borrowing on what you're doing, your approach, you're going after your clients. How do you balance staying nice and remember and being nice to people, but then also you know, being your advocate and then also dealing with people who might be uh, less nice than you who are going after maybe some of the same clients and jobs? I've had that a lot or people who come to me for advice and then will send proposals to other people I have worked with. It's just always good. Two things is like to know when to leave. Sure. And to leave before you get bitter or frustrated about a client or if something's not working. It's okay to say, you know what, I you know, think our time together is coming to an end. Like, I'm yeah. happy to refer you to someone else. And I think, you know, how you leave is equally as important as how you arrive. Um, and just to, you know, not necessarily like maintain good graces, but to understand that, you know, all of these working relationships are important and especially in a small community, you're going to run into people. Yep. So that's important also to, I don't, there's like, it's always good to make room for the next generation. Like I've pivoted Mm. a lot and, you know, I started a bakery during the pandemic, which is not something I anticipated, but a lot of I've done a lot of interviews about people saying, what do you think of all these people baking challah during the pandemic? And, and is it competitive? Do you feel a lot of competition between these people on the internet? And I'm, I don't, I think there's enough Mm. space for everyone to be successful and have a different style and things. And even the way I ran my social was different than other people. Also like the clients that I had, some of their goals were, to have a million followers. And my goal for having been in restaurants was always to have a full dining room every night. Mm. So it's either you can have a really great facade, which is the whole purpose of social media is to say, here are the highlights of our restaurant life. And this is what we have going on. And I'm like, but are you making any money? Like, yeah, let's make fucking money like that's that's the whole purpose of having a business you know you want to sustain your life but having a beautiful facade is one thing but how many covers did you do tonight are we filling the space and promoting to a point where we have a wait list like let's do that so i think there's enough space for 
Maybe I went off on a tangent, but it's no, very- I, I, I think it's all connected because I, there are times when people in freelance and especially when you're getting started or you're not confident in your career, you can look at others and go, how are they doing it? What's the, they look like they're crushing it in their business. And oh my God, maybe they're stepping on my corner a little bit. And then you peek a little bit behind you go like, eh, maybe not. Maybe it's a little, The it's not as, you know, they don't have as many followers or maybe the dining room isn't as empty or maybe they're not selling as much. They're just good at the, the shine of it. Um, but I do like that idea that there is enough space for everyone, especially now with the culinary and especially the culinary media world is so expansive. There's, right. there's so much. Um, I, I know we want to get into the holla, but uh, before we go to break, I remember my early freelance days, especially around, it was around the same time as you, you know, mid aughts, late aughts and, and um, same hours, same terrible pay. But what got me through it was the music because I was going to a lot of shows. I was listening to a lot of bands and, you know, you'd get up bleary eyed, you put on a couple of good songs or you'd come home from a long shift. You're like, all right, just, you know, th- these are the songs that are going to like wrap me in a hug after, you know, being on my feet for 16 hours. Um, in those early days, what were you listening to to get you through some of the tougher days? Uh, what, what was your go-to song soundtracks? Oh, from back then? I'm yeah. such a 90s, early 2000s girl. Like, I mm. love that old school. I guess it's, not, it's only old school to me. I don't know who else, but what was I listening to back then? Pat Carney from the Black Keys is one of my dear friends, and I listen mm. to the Black Keys a lot, not just because I love him, but because that, like, bluesy music. Sure. And it's upbeat. Like, that does it for me. I'm also a huge Justin Bieber fan, which might be controversial for this crowd, but I no, love it. Takes like, all, takes all kinds. Music. I also, during a dark period, a lot of Phoebe Bridgers and Claro. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I love her so much. You know, it's funny because it is a lot of community in this, but especially when you're doing freelance, it can feel very lonely. And so I think the music Mm -hmm. is a good connector. Those are my best friends. Yeah. And whatever you need, you know, as a song or lyrics or a voice, it's, it's very important. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the holla business. Um, and some of the charity work that you mentioned. Uh, but here's a quick song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are here with Aliza Sokolo, LA-based food stylist and photographer. And you mentioned in the first part that you have pivoted a lot in your career. And one of your most popular pivots that was popularized during the pandemic, we do love alliteration on the show, uh, was that you um, have been baking challah, which for anyone who loves bread and loves Jewish food is familiar with. Um, but what got you into making challah and what do you love about making that specific type of bread? I personally, even though I did social for the last decade, love doing tech free work. I'm Mm. very tactile. I love, I love projects and activities. I love hanging out with my nephew because we color and build things and use magnet tiles and anything that's away from my phone, I really enjoy. So I started, I've been making all up for probably like, how old am I? Like 15 years. And during the pandemic, I started to bake just because I needed an activity. And I baked like, I posted on my social media that I was going to do like 10 loaves one week and donate all the money to, I think probably World Central Kitchen. Sure. And people just started ordering and I'm created a business out of it. I've baked anywhere from like 40 to 360 loaves of bread. Um, my base recipe I got from my cousin, Mindy Siegel, who's a James Beard award winning pastry chef in Chicago. Not a she bad a place to start. Called hot chocolate. No, I really, if you're going to do it, you might as well go with the best. And yeah. she's a really great advice hotline for me to have. Uh, there's really no one better than Mindy. <laughs> and I truly, and I read a lot. So I started experimenting with different flavors and mm. I just wanted to like keep things exciting. And it really gave people a sense of um, routine for their Fridays. Like they really look forward mm. to going to pick up their hollas. And I would sometimes correlate the flavor I was doing with the charity I was donating to. I always love to give back. Um, It's just, you know, that makes me feel good. I used to do a lot of service work in developing countries, which obviously didn't happen this last year. So I figure if I couldn't Mm -hmm. physically go, I could just send money to some great organizations and they could take care of the rest. Um, So that's sort of how I got started this week. I did Garlic Not Hala last week. I did a collab with Amira Kasem from Flower Shop, and we did a Sprinkle Pride Hala. Um, I love it. Never a dull moment in the space. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. I have to ask, though, it's one thing to do 10 Halas, which you could probably do out of an apartment. It's quite another to do 300 How did you scale? I've been, I've been in I'm in my fourth kitchen of the pandemic right now. Mm. I bought a globe mixer from one of my kitchens, which I can do 22 um, loaves, like but in dough in my mixer. Sure. So I've worked. I've had to rent kitchens during this time. I initially started in my apartment yeah. and I was looking at photos of Hollas I baked a year ago today and they were so ugly. And I'm like, God bless these people for still 
supporting me. I just didn't have the space, but I had the intentions. So I was able to scale up. I learned how to let it rise longer to make it fluffier. I Mm -hmm. switched flowers. It's been a great learning experience, truly. Um, I like the component that bread brings people together and breaking bread. And it's, you know, something I did with my family growing up. Most like half the people who buy for me aren't Jewish, which is very cool. I love um, that. I, people just love bread and they love French toast and it's delicious. So I'm really grateful to have had these kitchens and all my kitchen experience over the year just to really culminate during this strange time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has been a strange time, you know, uh, Jewish myself grandparents are Holocaust survivors and this past year, couple of years with all the anti-Semitism and people who maybe aren't Jewish throwing their hands up being like, I thought this was done. I'm like, this is never going, this has never been done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you're baking what is arguably the most famous crossover Jewish dish, right? If you're saying half your clientele isn't even Jewish, but people know what a hala is for the most part. Well, at least I'll say for LA or California. Um, what does right. it mean or has it taken on a new meaning making challah during this, you know, rise in anti-Semitism, but also just something that is so culturally representative of, of the Jewish people? I think, you know, I haven't experienced this level of anti-Semitism in my X amount of years of being alive. It's really it concerned me a bit. I'm like, am I making myself a target by like, Mm -hmm. I don't outwardly talk about Judaism. I'm really into the values and everything I've learned from being Jewish. Sure. But I don't share that, you know, with my social platforms or anything. Um, I just, you know, I really look at it as breaking bread and bringing people together it's a very strange, strange time. And I just hope that people, you know, like everything I do can realize there's enough space for everyone to, yeah. to be who they are and fly their freak flag and believe in whoever they believe in as their higher being. But hopefully, you know, not to be kumbaya, but we can figure out how to get along. Like there's, there's a seat at the table for everyone. So hopefully everyone can calm down soon and it'll just, I don't know. It's a really, it's a rough time, but I hope it can create some peace and, and love between people to, to break bread together. Yeah. I mean, having people fall in love with the food of a culture is a good entry point to maybe understanding what people are about. I agree. I mean, I, I think it's the best way to, to, what is it? Break down bridges is to just, is that the, whatever the term is, is yeah. Break eating. down walls, tear down walls. Tear down walls, tear yeah. down walls. Let's stick to that one is, you know, to eat and like have a meal together and realize that the, we're all just humans. No one knows what they're doing. No. Adults are just like giant children. It's like, no, no one knows what they're doing, even if they act like they do. So yeah. That's how um, I see it. Yeah, I mean it's it's I mean, and the fact that you're you're making hala, but you're not making it all about yourself, you're working with charities, 
the great people like know us without you who is feeding LA. Like it's a great way to show that food is this common ground that we can all share together. It's very common. I donated to world central kitchen a lot as well. And they're, you know, I spent time in India yeah. I, two or three years ago and I worked with this awesome, I went with the, um, JDC, which is an awesome humanitarian organization um, it's led by Jewish people, but they help people all over the world. And I met this really awesome women's group in Mumbai, uh, and mm. they have a project called Saywal. And I was able to connect the chefs at World Central Kitchen to these women I met three years ago in this like tiny yes. town in called Ahmedabad in India, and they were able to go feed them. And I was like, it's interesting how everything sort of comes together, mm-hmm. and I, I love that component to it. So it's, you know, we're all really able to help each other out. And that was sort of my goal in this, in this project. And it's still happening. I mean, I, so I'm donating there this week. So. Oh, I love it. I love it. Cool. Um, I'd be remiss to ask, not to ask that as you've gotten more popular with your baking and as you've spent more time in the kitchen, what are your go-to baking songs? What's your soundtrack when you're in there? I listen to a lot of Sirius XM. So Sirius mm. XMU, a lot of indie music. Love it. I love it. I love it. Like I, Jenny Ellis XMU Q is, and Julia uh, Cunningham are my DJs. Them. And I love them and I connect with them and I've thanked them for my, my baking playlist. And then... After like the lunchtime um, exhaustion sets in, I was eating wax paper every week, like mm. the whole sandwich, the Ira Glass plus oh, tuna, yeah. my jam. And, you know, it was exhausting. And then I'd have to go into the 90s, you know, the like 90s hip hop, which is a fantastic time, but indie in the morning to get me through and then the 90s to like lift me back up. I love it. There's a a song that I'd forgotten about, Stuck on You by Failure, which I believe either Julia or Jenny played like the other week. And it Mm -hmm. brought me immediately back to middle school. And my wife heard it too. And we were just like, oh, this old chestnut, this old jam. It's fantastic. I can't get enough. Sometimes I have to do today's hits to like really lift the spirits. Mm. Just that pure saccharine, just that right to the jugular of just... Yeah, I love it. It gives me a little endorphin boost and energy boost. Like you can dance to it. You know, some mixes. I go to this really cool gym and somehow all these DJs work out there. So lately I'll like put in some chain smokers or some Dylan Francis to like get me through the end of the day. But other than that, it's it's Jenny and Julia. Julia. They're yeah. my women, and like, and I, I love, I love Bennett too. Shout out to Bennett. Love Bennett, but Sirius XMU is that's the jam. That's my jam. I can't stop. Yeah. So as we, or at least in LA, because I don't want to speak for the whole world, start to shift out of the pandemic. Um, I know that you have a book coming out, and you're still baking the challah. But what are your plans? Because, you know, you talked about pivoting before, 
Do you see another pivot happening or are you going to stick with the baking and being an author for the next couple of years? I'm my, my life game plan is I have my first book coming out summer 2022. It's called, this is what I eat. My cover art just came in yesterday. Mm. It's like, I'm having a book baby and I I'm so excited just beyond. So hopefully I'll have some more kids books coming out after this, but I am so amped for my book. It talks about, it's for like five-year-olds and it talks about fruits and vegetables and colors and shapes and sizes and planting your own garden and Mm. all these awesome things. And I can't wait for everyone who has kids or has kid friends to buy it because I think it's going to make an awesome impact. But I'm still baking challah. We'll see how long the people want to (laughs) keep eating it for. I have really committed a committed fan base. Um, But I have gone back to work shooting and doing, Mm. um, doing food styling. I did a shoot with Vogue recently, which was very exciting for me. I had never worked with them before. Amazing. And that'll be coming out in August. What else? I've done some really cool shoots over the past few months now that people are going back to work. So yeah. still styling. I love playing with food. It's just such a cool medium and the education behind it. Even yesterday I posted on my social that I don't know if this is controversial, but like there's there's genders and fruits. And Wiser Family Farms, which is in Tehachapi, like it's watermelon season right now. And I was posting about the genders of different fruits on my social, how there's like a female watermelon and a male and they look very different. Hmm. And people didn't know that. And it's interesting that there's genders in produce. So had no idea to learn about. It's really interesting. They need to grow next to each other to grow together. So it's very wow. cool. My plan is to keep writing books and connecting with kids. And when I worked for Jamie Oliver in the U.S., we worked with kids in inner city schools. And that was my first um, sort of entryway into food education. So I also teach a lot of cooking classes to kids. Um, I had a pod over quarantine of four 11-year-olds. We would cook every week. And I learned so much from working with kids. They're so smart and inquisitive and watching how they react to cooking and just like fruits and vegetables has made me even more excited for my book because that's, they're the future. People my age, and you know, no one's looking to change their eating habits. And I realized that, I mean, even if you want to, no offense, everyone, it's probably not going to happen. So you know, you're in a routine and the kids are our future and the hope for for a healthier, you know, generation. So if we can get, you know, fruits and veggies into these kids' bodies and making them excited about eating them, then I'll consider myself feeling accomplished. Well, I would say that given what you talked about today in your career, you should feel accomplished no matter what. But the book is a nice cherry. The book is a very nice cherry. <laughs> It's really dope. It's really, it's so exciting. And it's coming out with Random House Kids. And my publisher 
and my team my, are so awesome. And I really, I have so much gratitude for them. So Amazing. I can't wait for everyone to, to see it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. People want to see your work or some of your postings or follow along with what you're doing. Where can they go? Uh, You can head to Eliza J. Sokolo on Instagram or Sokolo Photo if you want to check out some prints that I've done of fruits and veggies. Uh, You can DM me. I always respond and um, we can talk more about fruits and vegetables and holla and life before Instagram. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on hrn.org.
This episode is brought to you by Garden Cult, garden design and coaching. Carmen DeVito is a professional garden designer, certified New York State landscape professional, and the founder of Garden Cult. You may also know her from HRN's home gardening videos and our series, We Dig Plants. Garden Cult is a culmination of Carmen's more than two decades of experience designing and building gardens in New York City. Carmen believes that gardens and outdoor spaces should be healthy, environmentally sustainable places that enhance the health of people, nature, and the planet. She knows how to help you maximize the space you've got, help you work with and make the most of the materials, plants, and trees that you already have, and create an outdoor place to use and enjoy for you and your family. Get started at GardenCult.com. For a 15% discount on virtual garden consultations and coaching sessions, use code HRN15 through September 30th, 2021. That's code HRN15 at GardenCult.com. I would like to welcome to Snacky Tunes, Lucius. Thank you. Hello. There's five of them. Um, and just so it does not go to waste, they're all dressed in gender-specific matching outfits. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. I was telling some of your boys that I saw you play at uh, Hamageddon at Guga Muga, oh. uh, and drew me in across the field. And then I was like, oh, these guys are great. And then, lo and behold, girly action. Forrest works with you, and they sent you our way, and here you are. On a We're happy to kind be of here. overcast gray December-ish day. Yeah. Um, but surprisingly so, warm. Surprisingly warm. Yeah. Uh, so I want to start with the house in Ditmas Park because I had only recently learned about its Victorian secrets and I want to know how you found the house and, you know, where it seems like that's kind of where it all began. Well, Holly and I had been singing together and writing before then, but we <clears throat> found the house on Craigslist and um, we were just looking for a place with a bunch of friends and um, we knew nothing of the house's history through the, through the, Craigslist posting and we showed up and we had already lost a house that we really wanted to have. So we were sort of wary of the situation. Like we don't want to get too excited about something that was not going to happen. And we showed up, we walked through the front door and there's like vintage organs and a grand Steinway piano and a recording studio in the basement. And it was sort of like, what, (laughs) what kind of dream did we step into? Um, what was the working order of all the various working order? It all kind of worked, or we just needed to tune the piano, and everything was yeah, yeah. It was working. There was a couple pianos in the house that were like from the eighteen yeah. hundreds that definitely were not working, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, it was pretty it's magical. Pretty amazing. Yeah, did you just were like, we'll sign right now? We don't care. Yeah. Well, then we we saw the rest of the house, and it was just yeah, it was sort of like we just, have to make this work. Also, there was tons of records in the basement, but clearly, like, the landlords didn't know the importance of all this stuff. Right. They didn't even mention it in the Craigslist ad. So when we moved in, all the records were gone. Yeah, 3,000 records. He just threw them out. He didn't sell them on eBay or anything. You asked him? Yeah. Because we're like, where did they go? Oh, threw them out. They're old records. Like, you just, they just uh. have no idea. Um, but all the gear was still there. Yes. Yeah. You were like, please keep the... 
organ. No, we didn't know. I mean, we just didn't know that he was even considering moving anything. Oh, you just took it as an omen, less like, hey, this will be left here. So, yes. How did then those? How did those instruments begin to factor into the band? Well, we started writing on the piano and um, um, met a bunch of neighborhood friends, including Danny and Pete. And who are in um, the band? People can't see that you're looking around, but they're oh, also sorry. in the band. Yes, Danny, Pete, and Andy. Um, and we just started hanging out and having like little jam sessions and writing on our front patio, and um, that's sort of how it how it began. Okay, well, why don't we um, why don't we hear a song first? Sure, let's do it. This is called Wilder Woman. It's an unreleased track.
pages. Yeah, we're ripping out the pages. Ripping out the pages in your book. Oh, we're gonna find another way back home. Written in our blood, oh, it's written in our bones. Yeah, we're only being bound, being bound by the things we choose. Yeah, we're only being bound, being bound by the things we choose. Hey, 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 Awesome. Amazing. Um, it's really so, funny to watch all these people. I know. So you you see it kind of like answers your question. Like they, the people at the table by the window, they hear it. The people that are further out, like they kind of hear it. Okay. Like when you get loud, they're like, what? But they can see us, obviously. Kind of. Oh, it's kind of like, it's way. not a two-way mirror, but just because they're the way that it's lit. With their phone and stuff. Maybe they're taking pictures of their food. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Maybe it's, it's, we should <laughs> moon them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Roberta's hashtag ban. Um, I feel like this show is very like stereotypical. Like people could come out of town and be like, oh, of course, there's like a radio show and a band playing here <laughs> or eating pizza. They're like, how Brooklyn, how Bushwick. <laughs> oh, and they're all matching in outfits. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, like I said, uh, usually my brother is here uh, and we are twins. So people are just like mm, twin hipsters. Hosting. <laughs> so it's like just kind of checks the list. Um, Vocals play such a huge part of your band, and I'm curious how that factors into the overall writing process of your song. You know, where do you start? You know, where do the ideas come from? Um, and then how do you essentially build the layers of the, the songs that you make? Each song is different. I mean, sometimes we come up with a, a, like a line for a chorus or part of a verse, and, um, and then build around that. Or sometimes we come up with like a vocal little tidbit yeah i mean we started writing together really like it was the first time we had really explored with writing about seven years ago and it's we've been lucky because we've had very similar um sort of patterns and sort of experiences in our lives that we've been able to relate to one another and um it's made the A writing example? process just heartbreak and falling in love and um you know, I mean, just even the even the, even moving, even, you know, living in the same place, moving to a different place, um, having to grow accustomed to a different lifestyle. I mean, just those types of things. Got it. And then so if it starts between you two, um, how does the music and then uh, enter in and then how do the background vocals as well um, play a factor? We're just like, let's do something fun. Yeah, I like <laughs> to experiment. It's the arrangement process is really collaborative. Danny's a producer, so he comes up with cool ideas when they're when everyone's recording. 
for harmonies and backing vocals and all that stuff. The thing was, when we recorded our record, we weren't really a band. <clears throat> Holly and I had some songs. We got together with Danny, started recording, brought Pete in to play on some tracks. And we had never played together as a band. Got it. And then, um, so the record recorded, and then you're like, you guys want to play in our band? Basically. Yeah. It's like, this makes sense. Let's let's try this out. Uh, and, um, and then Andy joined the band. Um, oh, welcome, Andy. Thanks. High five. On air, high five. Uh, so then as as I came, I mean, you guys, I mean, most bands, you know, they play around for forever. Like, oh, we should record something. And then uh, how did it become, you know, recording the record, then forming a band, and then taking it on the road? I mean, we really, um, the band is, is pretty young. It's only about a year old. And um, our first tour was like two months ago, not even. So um, that's just... Uh, an opportunity came about, and where, and where we, was it? Um, we went out with JD McPherson, who's okay. an incredible um, rockabilly artist, and um, Milo Green, who like indie folk band. Um, so all over the Northeast, Canada, um, and the Midwest. So I mean, you guys are essentially okay. band first, and now becoming friends. <laughs> type of situation. I mean, most people uh, not friends. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, this has got real interesting. <laughs> Let's talk about it. No, we we um, we met. Um, we all met through this band, sort of. In you know, we all we all knew each other through the small community of playing music in the same city. But uh, it did bring us all together, and you know, we met Andy not too long ago. But Danny had been working with you know Andy uh, was playing another band called Andy and the Beekeepers. Um, and Danny it was a pretty their record. yeah so it was a pretty natural progression of how all the pieces came about and then you learn about uh you know what everyone's stinky underwear smells like <laughs> along the way so it's just like there was like oh i think that's my then we really no fell longer in love. stinky i just washed it all last night <laughs> yeah holly holly did a really nice thing holly washed everybody's underwear the day we got off tour she took everyone's clothes and she's like them. you know what i'm taking this on <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you're like oh i think that's my bow tie or i think that's my button-up shirt yeah we, my shirts are the ones that are ripping in the back the ladies I, pretty much yeah. keep track of where all the clothes are because Otherwise, we would leave them in each city. Is each night a different uh, look, or is it uniform across across the whole tour? It's a different outfit. We have so many different looks. Um, <laughs> no, it's we're really looking to so Paris this year. A little bit of Greece, maybe some Milan. <laughs> we call this our midnight look. More like grandma's closet. <laughs> um, why don't we hear uh, another tune? Cool. Cool. This is called "Go Home." <clears throat> Yes. You know where 
Press on my heart, I will sing. Press on my heart, I will sing. That one was on a shared experience of heartbreak. Just <laughs> hoping I'm not reading into that too much. Um, I want to talk about the comp that you made um, because Freelance Whales are good friends of ours and good friends of the show. They were on two weeks ago. Um, we love them. Um, they actually re-recorded our theme song and they're the best. Uh, but tell me about this comp, like where it came from, um, how it came together. and Our band was stolen with all of our gear after our show. Um, back in, what was it, July or something. And um, we had to do a pledge campaign because although the insurance company covered the car, we had about like $20,000 worth of gear that was stolen. And um, 
basically just called on all of our friends for help. And through that, we sort of came up with the idea of doing a compilation disc, um, friends covering friends songs. Didn't have to worry about copyright. Didn't have to worry about any of that. So, um, uh, the freelance whales, uh, gave us permission to do their tune. They're good friends of ours. And, um, that's how that came about. Mm -hmm. Who else was on the comp? Spring Standard, Sydney Wazer, um, Elizabeth and the Catapult. I'm looking at Dana because these are all other Snacky Tunes bands. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you Won't. You Won't. Jukebox the Ghost. Amazing. And so did you, were you able to raise the money back and replace all your gear? Yes. And so now what, how do you get the comp? Because I want the comp. Oh, <laughs> it's a secret, but I will send it to you. It's a secret? Yeah, no, we're, it's it's only to the people that pledged. Oh, wow. That was the whole sort of... And then once it was, you raised the money, it was done? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's actually really great. Yeah. To be kept in the vaults for another band that gets stolen. Yeah. Full of, full of knock on well, wood yeah. gear and everything. Was, yeah. <laughs> or, or in the vault for something positive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that thing. Um, so... As, you know, five relative, well, two old friends and some newer friends and one very new friend, uh, Telling Road, do you guys get time to explore and eat in the cities that you were on tour with? Do you guys eat well together? Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, we like, we all like to cook. So any opportunity we have to just go and get some fresh eggs and make something, make a sweet breakfast. Usually breakfasts are where To stay with people. With kitchens. Oh, really? Yeah, we don't. We we've been staying with friends or like in our two tour. We've, we've stayed met. with one hotel, in, yeah. with one in one hotel. Yeah, usually just staying with yeah. So make like, an announcement on stage. Anybody have a bed for us? Really? A mm. floor for us? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Well, do you, do you like they're like we will cook you breakfast. You have to go we'll with cook you. Them breakfast. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah, with none of with none of the shame. I'll make yeah. sure. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. That's my dish. That's. I mean, that's a good. I would let you sleep on my couch. What now? Do is a requirement that one of each of you, all five of you, make a dish, or is like, do you people usually have just like one dish? Well, there was Jess and Holly. Like, I just found this out. Our taco masters <laughs> made. You guys made incredible. Like a. Oh yeah, like, we went to really the farmers good. market. Guacamole. Yeah, oh yeah. Like everything was like. Its own little featured plate, and then I just smashed it all together. And Thanks. Slammed it in your face. Yeah. yeah. So like breakfast really topic. crispy potatoes. Yeah. Danny's Danny's go-to breakfast dish is definitely shakshuka, and that is always a crowd pleaser. Yeah, it's e it's easy and delicious. How do you make yours? Um. Well. <laughs> yeah. Get on in here. Get close to that, Mac. Um, I've been standing about ten feet away up until now. Yeah. Um. Usually, uh, I make a, some sort of tomato stew, um, and I'll add some kind of sweet element like carrots or sometimes shh, a little ketchup, <laughs> and uh, and then just let it like. <laughs> hey man, it's a food show. We're yeah. like, it's a food show. Let's yeah. talk about ketchup. Yeah. No, hey, I mean, it, I'll, I'll tell you this: my mom's chicken growing up thought it was the most gourmet stuff ever. Three ingredients ever. Two ready. Lipton's Wait. onion soup, apricot preserve, and French onion dressing. That sounds amazing. And I thought that was like, and I still make it and still pass. Oh, this thing? Ours. <laughs> Actually, just yeah. before we came in here, Pete and I were talking about all the like dishes that we had as kids that were like kind of symptoms of being like 
children of the 80s, like salad dressing and chicken legs. Like that's it. Just like yeah. the worst Italian that's dressing. That's what I thought you were going to say. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, but it was kind of like, and I always tried to make it and it never tastes as good. And my mom goes, well, why did you get it? I was like, well, I got fat free French dressing, <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, you need to get this shit. That's terrible for you in the eighties when we didn't know any better yeah. and put that in a pot. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then of course, yeah. better. it's the best right. thing ever. All right. So ketchup and, um, so you make the stew until it like simmers down and a lot of the acidity goes away and then you just poach eggs on top of it for like five minutes. And there it is. Usually, I mean, my dad, he went to the Israeli army and, the way he described it to me is it would always be like whatever vegetables were left over from the night before, like the meal they had. So shakshuka was kind of like a poor man's breakfast. It was right. like, let's just take leftover veggies, throw it in a pot, throw some eggs on it. But Do you put the bow tie on when you're cooking in the morning? Do yes. I put the what? The bow tie on. In always. The only bow tie. Only bow tie. <laughs> Backless apron and yeah, yeah. bow tie. Um, so what do you guys have coming up, coming up next? The EP is out. <clears throat> EP is out. We are... Um, finishing our full-length record, and we have a big show in um, New York on January 18th with Tall Tall Trees I mean, at Mercury it? Lounge. Amazing. Tickets available now? Tickets are available now, as of Friday. Um, great. So do you want to give people the nuts and bolts where they can buy the EP, where they can find you? It's on iTunes. Um, I love Lucius.com, L-U-C-I-U-S. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those things and um yeah thanks so much for listening yeah um you want to give the, those keys a test to make sure that it, there we go Sweet. um well big shout out to the melt shop and spencer bullfrog and bomb shout out to girly action dana thank you so much roberta's as always jack welcome back from vacation joe the whole crew uh we have one more episode left for this year um i believe it's team playing live and i'm not sure the food guest because uh that's just where I'm at right now in my life. And don't judge me. Thank you so much, guys, for coming. This has been so amazing. Thanks so much what's for the, having us. What's the name of the last song? It's called Turn It Around. And we actually have a video that, that came out about a month and a half ago. It's on YouTube for this song. So okay. check so it check out. Okay, so check it out. Um, thanks, for everybody, listening to Snacky Tunes. Shout out to Darren and Joe and uh, Mom and Dad. And Dad, feel better. See you guys next week. Feel better, Dad.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.